our planes of consciousness model is going to have just three levels. Simplicity makes things so much easier. And so we're going to have three levels and which in within each of those levels, we'll have three more levels. So out of one cosmos, we must have a physical, mental, and a spiritual plane. And so we're gonna, I'm gonna go through and discuss each one in, uh, in turn. So we've got the physical plane. Now, most people don't think of this as being a part of consciousness, but when I explain to you uh, how it works, you might change your mind on this. So as it happens, and these are kind of common facts, although I, I can't say I could rattle them off the top of my head so easily uh, before I really looked into it, but um, on the physical plane, five percent of the physical plane is what we can see with our eyes the objects the the everything we can see our bodies the trees anything that's visible or perceptible with our five physical senses takes up five percent of the physical plane so that's pretty interesting that only five percent of the entire physical plane can we see so what is the rest of it well, science doesn't really know, but they have come up with names for them and descriptors. And so 25% of the physical plane is called dark matter. And the way that they describe this, the way that they really have no clue what it is, but they have figured out that dark matter is a skeleton of the structural property of the universe. Dark matter is the skeleton on which matter is framed throughout the cosmos. So in theory, you know, consciousness somehow creates this, uh, this structure, this frame for that visible matter to be built upon. Now, the most uh, highest level of uh, substance in the physical plane is dark energy, and that is 70% of the physical plane. Now, scientists know even less about dark energy and uh, they do know how much dark energy there is, however, because they know how it affects the universe's expansion. So dark energy, in contrast to visible matter and dark matter, is, is uh, gravitationally repulsive. It, it doesn't attract, it expands. So since dark energy works against gravity, more dark energy accelerates the universe's expansion. And uh, other than that, it's a complete mystery. That's all that the universe, that's all that scientists can really tell you. Even the forward thinking scientists, there aren't too many theories about what's going on with that dark energy. But within this idealist consciousness model, that dark energy may have a lot to do with consciousness playing a role somehow in creating visible matter. Now, one explanation for dark energy is that it is a new kind of dynamical energy fluid or field, something that fills all of space, but something whose effect on the expansion of the universe 
is opposite that of matter and normal energy. So some have named this quintessence, and that's what the Greek philosophers called the fifth element. And others, I know Isaac Newton was very fascinated with quintessence. He thought that that was the animating uh, feature of matter, the spirit that made matter come alive, quintessence. So the truth is, we don't know what dark energy and dark matter is, but we know it's there. And we know that only 5% of our physical world is visible. So I think we have a lot more to do on that front. Now, let's go to the mental plane. Now, just to be clear, the mental plane includes our thoughts and also our emotions and anything else that occurs in our mind. So, Anything at all is uh, considered the mental plane. And I've split it into three categories here, starting with the unconscious. So when we fall asleep at night, we no longer have awareness unless we start to dream. And of course, so many of us have learned about our uh, subconscious where we might be holding limiting beliefs or childhood wounds or patterns that we don't understand why we're there. There's many forms of psychotherapy that help people really dive into their unconscious and see what's going on there. I think it was Carl Jung who coined that phrase, uh, the collective unconscious. And that's really the idea that that one consciousness is somehow behind the scenes playing a role on what's going on in our lives. So that's the unconscious. Now, daily awareness is the second sort of strata of the mental plane. And that's our ego, our thoughts, our emotions, all of the things I kind of just mentioned, sort of the things we're aware of very regularly on a daily basis. This is where we spend most of our time on this level of consciousness. And the next level of consciousness in the mental plane is transcendental. So this is... Uh, this is when we move out of our regular daily awareness to a more expanded state where maybe we start to leave behind our five physical senses and lose kind of awareness of our body when we get really deep into meditation or other type of experiences. And some might call this the flow state. That counts too. So the flow state, generally, that could be had... Uh, for example, runners might get that runner's high at a certain point along the way. Uh, maybe uh, I like to use the example of a surgeon who is spends hours and hours, you know, focused very much on just one tiny part of the body to, to correct it. And they get into a flow state where nothing else matters. Any kind of creative activity, that's the flow state. And that's where you kind of move out of that daily awareness. Now, hypnosis, if, if you've ever been hypnotically regressed or any kind of hypnosis, that's also a transcendental state, although you might not feel so loosey-goosey. You're, uh, you know, I'll say, you might not feel so open to... Uh, phenomena, but you might be in a state where your everyday awareness has been altered slightly. Lucid dreaming also falls into this category. This is where you are dreaming and within the dream, you realize you're dreaming, you awaken within the dream. That's a more transcendental state of awareness beyond the everyday. And there's also the hypnagogic state. And that's the state that we're all in 
every day when we're falling asleep at night. We're in it again when we're waking up in the morning, although technically that's called the hypnopompic state. But the hypnagogic state <clears throat> is when the body, the physical body is profoundly relaxed, but the mind is still awake and alert. And when this takes place, all kinds of things can uh, start to be managed by your consciousness when you can sort of effectively get yourself into a hypnagogic state that can be very useful now we are going to have an experiential that may offer you that opportunity to reach some kind of transcendental state of awareness in just a few moments but first i want to tell you more about how to look at the spiritual plane so the spiritual plane, that's what some of these uh, like Hindu folks and, and others and Kabbalists have really tried to define levels to. There's many who say there's a certain number of dimensions. They'll use that word. They'll use um, other types of, of ways to describe what's going on in the spiritual realm. I'm going to use the experience of Dr. Eben Alexander when he, in 2008, came down with a severe case of bacterial meningitis and entered into a seven-day coma. Now, he writes all about this in his book, Proof of Heaven, and full disclosure, Eben and I co-authored a book together called Living in a Mindful Universe, and that is one reason why I'm so intimately familiar with his case. And so, interestingly, uh, many religious people, after Eben explained his experience and the uh, word started getting around to different folks, he heard from those Kabbalists. He heard from mystical traditions, the Hindus. He, he heard from all kinds of people who said, oh my gosh, your experience validates what we understand about the spiritual realm. And so I think his example gives us a nice, simple way to uh, describe it. So in his case, he started out in what he called the earthworm eye view. So he describes that as a dark, murky realm, very unresponsive. Now, he was just a, an awareness. He had no, uh, no physical body awareness at all. Some people do when they have these type of experiences. An astral body will come along with them. But that was not the case for Eben. And in fact, he forgot he was Eben Alexander during this experience. He even forgot he was human. He didn't even know anything about Earth or his family at all as he was entering into this experience. And that's another reason why I think that the religious scholars find that his descriptions are very pure. They weren't really affected by his religious beliefs because he had none while he was having the experience. Of course, when he wrote it down later, he had to use language from his experience but any near-death experiencer will tell you that language is very limiting when trying to describe these realms. But he describes this earthworm eye view, again, as very dark and murky, like he was surrounded by blood vessels or something. And he theorizes that maybe this was the state his consciousness was in, you know, because of the state of his brain. But uh, at some point... In this experience, he was rescued from this realm. Now, keep in mind, he had no fear of this realm. Many people ask about that and ask if this was hell or something like that. He had no fear at all because he had lost his memories of who he was. So he had no reason to fear anything at all. It was just unresponsive and 
boring, really. And uh, he could wonder, though, who, what, where. And as he was wondering, the rescue came in the form of a beautiful spinning golden light. And accompanying it was a beautiful musical melody. And when he could remember the notes of this melody, well, that was later, the melody ushered him through a portal. He said that it just kind of... Uh, opened up this rip in, in space and time, and he was brought through this portal into what he calls the Gateway Valley. Now, he describes that as very earth-like, very lush, lots of greenery, lots of water, flowers blooming, and he says that the colors there, and many others will say that some colors that we don't see here on earth, and just absolutely vivid and wonderful, and he could see joyful people down below, uh, and uh, they were dancing, and there were dogs jumping, having great merriment. And when I say down below, it's because he found himself on the, he calls it a speck of awareness on the wing of a butterfly. And so as he was flying around this gateway valley to check it all out, he was seeing it from above. But Above him, there was another sound that took place. And this he called angelic choirs. And he says they were these beautifully resonant hymns and chants, kind of what you would hear in a, in a cathedral or something, but much, much more rich, so, something that our human ear could never really fully, really absorb. And these angelic choirs ushered in into yet another realm. And this he called the core realm. And this is where he experienced complete oneness and a complete absence of space and time. He describes it as everything just collapsed below him. And he then was taught all kinds of lessons about the universe. Now, he doesn't remember all of that. He remembers some things and uh, yet when when you learn that kind of knowledge in the spiritual realm that deep and you come back to the physical body, that knowledge sometimes is hard to retain. And I will say that that can also take place in a spiritual journey that you intend to have, say here on earth, not through some uh, unexpected event, but an intentional journey. You can also kind of have that same experience. Now the sound he heard in the core, that was the sound of Aum. And interestingly, this is what he identified. This is the name he used for God. He felt that there was a force in the core realm, a force made of absolute unconditional comfort and love. And this force he thought was much grander than that word God. And so he simply called it the sound that he heard. And he describes it as the kind of resonance you would hear for all eternity and infinity all wrapped up into one. And so it should be no surprise then why the Hindu religion really identified with his experience because of that Om sound. And uh, the, om call, call, the uh, Om sound, according to Hindus, is the eternal sound. It is present in the universe at all times. And saints and mystics of the past in deep meditation, they heard Om. That was the sound they heard. And so this experience that Eben had, many of these religious scholars 
again have said, yes, you have described this realm. And not only that, he seemed to have gone much further than most people go when they have a near-death experience. Most people will stay in what he called that gateway valley, the part that looks earth-like where you communicate with uh, souls who have already died. He thought that that realm was where souls might spend time when they were in between lifetimes before they would, you know, when they die, they go to that realm, but then they come back. Reincarnation was part of what he learned in the core realm, but that's a little bit beyond our topic for today. So that is the model of consciousness that I wanted to share with you. Now, a good model will account for all the anomalies. And uh, that medical model I shared with you, you know, awake, dream, sleep, coma, it doesn't account for these anomalies. And just so you know, Eben's experience, uh, another reason I used it for an, an, an example is because it's been medically validated. There were three physicians independent of his care who wrote a case report that actually was published in a medical journal, the Journal of Nervous and Mental Disease in uh, fall of 2018. And they documented that yes, his brain was absolutely in no condition to have any type of experience at all. So most people, uh, uh, materialist scientists, most materialist scientists will say that hallucinations are brain created, they're brain based. But this could not at all have been brain based due to the condition of his brain. And these three physicians in the case report also indicate that Evan's miraculous healing, they call it a miracle because he was not expected to live. And if he was going to live, he would have spent the rest of his life in a nursing home. That was the prediction. And uh, they determined, these three doctors, that the spiritual element of his experience contributed to his full healing. And so this is where this model becomes very, very relevant because the spiritual realm is incredibly important to our existence here on earth. The mental realm is also important. Um, I will share with you after our meditation a little bit more information on this that will kind of pull all of that together. But, you know, I'll remind you of Pythagoras who said that there was a monochord between heaven and earth, and that there's really are, there's vibrations on all levels. They've even found it in the material world. And so I love this quote from uh, the well-known Sufi, Hazrat Inayat Khan, who said, sound is the force of creation, the true whole. Music then becomes the voice of the great cosmic oneness. So it should be no surprise why sound why hearing particular sounds can help us to access this kind of experience or realm, whatever you want to call it. All manner of music can, uh, it's going to be different for everyone. Uh, it might take some trial and error to see what your system really responds to. But uh, I know some people who they listen, they follow around the band Fish, P-H-I-S-H, and they have ecstatic spiritual experiences just by listening to their music. I know someone else who had that experience listening to Sammy Hagar, 
of all musicians, a, a rock and roll musician, but many people will have that sort of experience when they hear beautiful chants, uh, beautiful kind of harmonic music that comes together in such a way that it really moves you to another way of being or feeling. And uh, the sound that we are going to listen to now is one of those sounds. So I invite you now to put on your headphones and sit back, relax, and I will see you on the other side of this sound experience. Breathe in the I am and exhale the we are. Bring your attention to this moment. Breathe in the Here I am and now calm and relaxed.
exile we are. Return from your experience and remember, remember your connection to all that is and have absolute trust that all is well. Okay, welcome back from your experience. It was a short experience, but many common responses when people hear that. Some will feel an immediate sense of connecting home or to that feeling of oneness. Others might feel a little tingling, might feel vibrations. Some might have felt themselves getting very relaxed. That's a very common, very common response. Um, some people might have entered that hypnagogic state, at least for a brief moment, uh, where the mind is awake while the body is profoundly relaxed. So that's when uh, your awareness can really expand to gain a broader perspective. 
Now, some of you, some others of you may have felt a little bit emotional, maybe unexpectedly. And uh, when people listen to the, this, this kind of recording, this recording and others that Sacred Acoustics produces, they will sometimes feel these emotions. And what this is, is we feel as though that these tones are somehow activating emotions that are already within you. And so perhaps they are unprocessed emotions from a previous time that are being activated. And if that's been happened, if that happened for you, the idea there is that this is something that needs your attention. Some, this emotion is uh, wanting your attention. Now, you don't necessarily need to know the story behind it. We're always wanting to put a story behind our emotions. But the advice is, if that happens while you're listening, is to just allow yourself to feel that emotion, whatever it is. And sure enough, as you feel it, it will evolve into something else, maybe a greater understanding or something like that. If you resist it, if you ignore it, uh, then you're just putting it right back in there. So it really is an opportunity to release emotions if that is one of the responses that you had. Now, but uh, Pythagoras, he believed in number and he realized that math and, um, excuse me, yes, math and music were the same thing. Now keep in mind that mathematics or numbers, they're mental. It's an abstract concept. It's not an object. It's not a thing. It's not mechanical. It is mental and it's abstract. And yet we use mathematics to understand our world in all kinds of ways. And it's with an abstract concept. But it was Pythagoras who really brought those mathematical principles into the music. And uh, these precise mathematical proportions determined the harmonies. And so we make that commitment in our recordings to uh, make sure those harmonics are always present. Now, remember that uh, monochord connecting heaven and earth and uh, this vibrational sort of uh, line that we can tap into uh, by changing our vibration through resonance, we connect with other vibrations. And so this is where that model of consciousness really starts to empower us. And I want to share my screen one more time to show you this final slide. <clears throat> 